Uh, hallelujah. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and an understanding heart in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying? Oh, yes. Ephesians chapter 1. There is a progression here. Blessed be, verse 3, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he, one, chose us. Out of being chosen, then comes declaration number two, holy. He declares us holy. Why does he declare us holy? This is a temple issue. God is holy. He cannot inhabit a temple that isn't holy. His presence will sanctify wherever he goes. Moses, throw your sandals off. This is holy ground. So the sanctifying presence of God necessitates that we be holy in order for him to take up residence here. And he's determined to do that. We are the temple of the living God. No, you're not. You're bought with a price. All right, that's a real estate purchase. In the story, that is a temple issue. Now, next on the temple cleansing path to full occupation. And that's what these gifts are. A temple cleansing path to full occupation. It ends with the Holy Spirit. So that, that shows you what goes on here. God is doing something that makes it possible for him to take up his residence and stay. Because that's the goal. He is going to inhabit his temple. All right, so number one, he chose us for that purpose. Gave us a heart for it. So number two, he declares it's holy. Number three, blameless. Number four, blameless says, okay, now you're qualified to be my family. You're chosen, you're holy, you're blameless. I'm adopting you. Adoption means a new family. That is a separation from our physical family into a spiritual family. And in Matthew 12, the the, uh, disciples come in and say, Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And so what does he launch into? Who are my brother? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he says, Those who do the word of the Lord. That's my family. All right, adoption is a real deal. It is a legal, it has legal rights. Actually, it's got a few more rights than uh, some of us might be willing to shoulder up to. Because when you wake up and re- when you wake up and realize, okay, all these strongholds. Stronghold. Zion was the biggest stronghold around. And God said, that's my city. I'm building a fortress, and I'm building you. Now take the city, and then I'm going to show you how to build a fortress. Now once you get your fortress built, it's your stronghold. When God says, I'm adopting you, that cuts every stronghold from any natural uh, lineage. That comes your way. That's a severing of that lineage. It has no right to rule over you. It is done from that point on. And it's a matter of resisting it and telling it where to go. Hallelujah. 
You and I become the fortress of God, the refuge of God, the fortress of God. That's who we are. That's what we are. And this adoption is a legal issue complete with covenantal rights, declarations. I mean, it is the second, the second covenant in scripture. There's five of them that are progressive. Each one's built on the other. The first one is called the Abrahamic covenant. We all know what that is. That is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. That's about provision. It's about protection. It's about your food. It's about your clothing. It's about your shelter. And it's about God being a protection for you. And it's about his, if somebody's going to mistreat you, God says, I will mistreat them. I will make you the plumb line. And the way people treat you is how I will treat them. So the first covenant is all about your food, your clothing, your protection. It's all about what you need to live. Okay, that's your life. That's covenant one, number one, the Abrahamic covenant. If you be Christ, three, uh, Galatians 3.29, then, then, are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise? Okay, so that's covenant one. But what's covenant two? It's called the Mosaic covenant. There's only five of these. They're called theocratic because they deal with the rule of God. The Noahic covenant is not a theocratic covenant. Great rainbow. It's got a message. But it has zip to do with God's rule in the earth. There are only five covenants that express the rule. The thumb, the forefinger, all the fingers of God come of five covenants. Number one is your provision. But what is number two? Number two is the Mosaic Covenant. Number two is all about adoption. That's what the Mosaic Covenant is all about. And, and in order for you and I to know that's what it's all about, that's how it unfolds. And God uses the exact same Hebrew words that he uses with Abraham. I karath a bear eth. And when it's time, Moses says, hey... Take us as your inheritance. Take us as your family. Here comes God and says, okay, this day I carath a bear eath. I cut a covenant with you. Now, guess what all that covenant's about? It's not about your provision that's already covered, that's in the Abrahamic covenant. This is addendum number one to the foundation, the Abrahamic covenant. Every single aspect is about making you a terror in the earth to the ungodly. It's a setup for Revelation 11. Because that's where it manifests in its fullness. The Mosaic Covenant gives you chapter and verse about the purpose of our adoption. Take us as your inheritance. Take us as your... Adopt us, is what Moses is saying. God's answer, I carath a bury. I cut a covenant with you today. You know, all the time I went to seminary, nobody ever pointed me to that. I had to mess around in the Word Look around and look around and look around. It took the Holy Spirit to tell me to go there. I'd read through it many times, read through the Bible many times. 
I saw the same terminology, very same translation in English. On that day, Genesis 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. Genesis 34, God made a covenant. Same terminology, same Hebrew. It is clear. And what is it? It is the foundation for what is declared right here in verse 5. But look how much verbiage is given to this adoption, which ought to tell us there's some stuff here. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This whole deal started when he looked down and said, hmm, I see America 2018. What kind of people do I need? I need some people who have a heart to turn things around, to step up. He looked at the condition of the nation, and then he chose the kind of people he wanted to be there. And that's what determined our birth and the place of our birth, according to Acts 17. That's why we're here. We're here because God said, I want sons and daughters who can do this. That's why we're here. Look, look at how this unfolds. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which... And then it goes into number five. He's made us accepted. Accepted is gift number five. But look at all that verbiage that says every single thing points to the fact that God had this in his heart way back in the foundations in the beginning of creation. And he's not going to settle for anything less than a son and a daughter relationship. You're not a grandchild. It's sons and daughters. God's not going to accept anything less. Now, if you have a relationship with your parents, you ever spend any time with them? Ever talk to them? They're probably gone now. If they aren't, I'll tell you what. You got memories that you can relish. God is into making memories. I want you to smile at somebody and say, God adopted you. You belong to him. Now, what is the purpose? Is there a prerequisite to adoption? That we should be holy and without blame. Yes, there is a prerequisite to adoption. Hallelujah. All right. Where did this start? It started in Exodus 19. Look at somebody and say, adoption. Adoption. Our adoption started in Exodus 19. That's a prerequisite. And, and that's where we find out what God's looking for. Because he has a couple of things he wants out of us from this adoption. He, God has a couple of expectations. And I think it pays to go back here and look at it. Okay, so what's it going to cost us now? 
to be adopted, sons and daughters of the king. What's the price tag? Everybody say two. 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 That's it. Two things. Here it is, the price of adoption. It's right here, so we know what God expects. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed, this is called the Mosaic Covenant. It is a covenant about adoption. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you should be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you should be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, so we choose to become a special nation, a covenant nation. We choose the adoption. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. What are the prerequisites? What is God after? If you will, one, obey my voice. Two, keep my covenant. These are the very same things that we see when God comes to visit Abraham in Genesis 18. I know Abraham. He will train his children after him. He will keep the way of the Lord. He'll walk in righteousness. He'll do judgment. So here we are. Obey my voice. Boom. You're going to be my sons and daughters when you choose to walk in the Spirit and obey my voice. And Romans 8. We get a little help. Because the people here recognize, my God, who can do this? <laughs> Man, God, you're holy. I mean, you, walking around you, you need an asbestos suit. Because there's fire everywhere. And you shake everything you touch. The earth shook when God came down and thundered out the Ten Commandments. There's fire everywhere. And the people take one look at it, and man, they're running the other direction. And then in Deuteronomy, God says, you remember when everybody reneged on the covenant? And Moses said, yeah. And God said, that was good. <laughs> How could people in disobedience be good? God saw our flesh could not do this. Our flesh in God's holy presence, ah, man, we need help. We, we didn't need more than a little help. So, and, and that's where Deuteronomy 18, which let's, let's go over, hold your place, go, go over there. I just, I love this about God. Oh, she, man, you planned this. You snuckered every one of them, including Moses. Oh my gosh. God, there's nobody like you. Look at this. Now this is after they reneged, after they ran the other direction, after they said, Moses, you pay the price in if you make a mistake, God will kill you. And we'll be happy to pay you for your risk. <laughs> yeah, really. Such a deal we have for you. And look at verse Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, 
Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what the people have spoken is good. (laughs) Now, you can hear Moses. You can hear the wheels turning. Why the heck did you come down and tell me that? Why did you send me back? to get an answer from the elders when you knew they weren't going to do it. What the heck was that all about? God said, well, I had to hook them. Yeah, yeah, you you guys in Texas know that. I had to hook them. (laughs) I hooked them so they're all guilty. What What the people have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Oh, yeah. Well, that's Jesus. And he is the prophet like Moses. So what we're seeing here, but with that now comes the blood, comes these nine sonship gifts. And all of a sudden, as they unfold in us, and we find out we died with Christ, who? Guess what? Lest we die. We just did. In order to walk with God, we have to die. We we have to go beyond our flesh into that realm where we are free to walk with the God who is a holy, consuming fire. So God said, it's good. i got an alternate plan, and I'm going to make it possible in Christ through his blood. So if you say yes to him, I count you having done it. And so I purposed your adoption right here. This is God offered him adoption uh, when they found out what it cost. They said, well, I don't think so. God said, I knew it. It's a better plan. You need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to walk this out. Can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And that's God in the house. That is God himself in the house empowering us to be his sons and daughters. So, God trumped our flesh with a better plan. Hallelujah. Now, that takes us over then to Romans chapter 8. Let's go. Romans chapter 8. Smile at somebody and say, you're adopted by God. Now, that's not a bad deal because he's fairly wealthy. Romans chapter 8, pick it up in verse... 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, 
by whom we cry, Hey, Dad, let's do this deal. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. Verse 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. I'm telling you the trees of the fields. I mean, the, the wealth that God put in the earth is crying out not to fund evil. And it's waiting for us to come along and say, no, you don't. You guys who are getting in all this oil wealth every month, if you keep funding evil, you're going to lose every bit of it. Because God will move it from one county to the other. He'll move it right out under your field to another one. And don't say he won't. Because I've watched him do stuff like that. I want to tell you something. (laughs) Ah, You know, sometimes God gives you an experience, and then he gives you theology to go with it. And all of a sudden, you realize something. And when you step into this judicial side, the power to shut heaven, the power that goes with this is the power to change, shift resources. If they are funding, if the resources were God developed in the earth, they were put here for a purpose. Hold your place. I'll be right back. We got to finish with this, so because we're not finished, uh, go to uh, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. Okay, now this is the foundation for shifting wealth. I mean, either for praying wealth into a place or uh, praying it out of a place and into another that's owned by somebody who will actually spend it for God's purpose. All right, here we go. To do, to do, to do. Verse. Seven, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father, he will show you, your elders, they will tell you. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is the place of his inheritance. God endowed property with natural resources that would fund the purpose of the nation where he chose to put you and I. Why in the heck are you in a Permian Basin? Are you kidding me? With near 50% of, the, of America's oil coming out of this place, or it's rapidly rising out here, production is av- Rapidly rising to that point, whereas projected, that's where you're headed. What are you here for? You are here to steward these resources. And you think you're here to steward them? God's got, not going to give you the authority to do it? Man, it's in your heart. It's in your mouth. And when you walk with God as an obedient son and a daughter, He trusts you to shift that wealth from funding evil over to funding righteousness. Now, what am I talking to you about? I'm talking about Revelation 12. I'm talking to you about being an end-time witness. That's what the witnesses do in the last days. And they listen to the creation who's crying out, Stop us from funding evil. 
You want a chapter and verse for that? Isaiah 55. The trees of the field will clap their hands. They will start to rejoice when you start executing that authority. As the rain comes down from heaven and the snow and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth, saith the Lord. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So when you and I start walking as the witnesses God intended us to be, even the creation, Romans 8, Isaiah 55, says, come on guys, set us free to fund the purpose that God put here for us. We know what it is. We know what the assignment is. It was given to us for the sons of the living God. Right here is when he set it up. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as the eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him. There was no foreign God with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the field. He made him to draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. Courage from the cattle, milk of the flock, with the fat of the lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan goats, with the choicest wheat. You drank wine, the blood of the grape. God set resources in place to fund the purpose of his kids in the last days. And that purpose is the harvest of the nations. The bringing in of God's harvest in cities and nations. Now that's why it's here. God put it here. And God has given us the authority. And I mean all the way from Genesis to James. There's prophesied wealth is going to shift in the last days. And in Proverbs chapter 8, tells you how, how to do it. You walk in righteousness, and then you walk in the paths of judgment. And the Holy Spirit's already got it planned. He's already got it ordained. He'll speak to you about it. He'll show it to you. And you'll find yourself walking out there one of these days, and all of a sudden, here comes the anointing to do it. It'll, it'll probably be one of those little zeal bursts, one of those little Holy Spirit explosion things where the wineskin bursts on the inside of you and you just have to go do something crazy. We must. We shall and we must. Shoot, man, I'm t- there is nothing on the planet like this walk. Nothing. And we are just getting started. Oh, guys. Oh, come on, let's finish Romans 8, because <laughs> we we got to follow this adoption thread from the Jews blowing it to us coming in, from them opening the door to us, from them forfeiting their firstborn status, and then we got to look and see, okay, God, what kind of status do you give us who came later? Are we second-class citizens or are we first-class citizens? Is it possible that we end up inheriting their firstborn status? Is that possible? That's the last thing I ever heard anywhere on the planet. 
I'm positing a question. I'm not telling you I got the answer for it. But I'll tell you what, there's enough scripture in here to make you think, hmm. I have not seen nor ear heard what the Holy Spirit has for those that love him. But the Spirit knows. That's what makes tomorrow so exciting. There's stuff out there and you can't get to it today. It's out there for tomorrow. So today's obedience sets up tomorrow's transfer. So if I can obey today, oh, I'm going to hit that transfer tomorrow somewhere. It's in a tomorrow. (laughs) It's out there somewhere. And I mean that the oil under the authority of the God-breathed anointed word will have to shift. It'll move. The gold, the uranium, all the stuff that's been stolen from this nation, the prophets are beginning to declare it's time for it to return. Well, the Clintons stole 20% of America's uranium and sold it for a, a bribe of $150 million to the Russians. Well, I think that needs to return. I've got my eye on some land. doesn't belong to me. belongs to somebody else. But I'm pretty sure that God wants to put a good number of percentage of that in that land. I can hardly wait to get there. Because I know, I know in here what I have to declare. And I'm not doing it for me. I don't, I don't, I don't get a dime out of it. I just know that I know. I don't want this stuff. Shoot. I mean, you talk like this, you sound like you're crazy. I am. Crazy enough to believe this Bible. Crazy enough to believe that I have, oh yeah, it's out there. You can't say this from every chapter to Genesis to James and not know it's out there. There is a transfer, and it doesn't come by... Uh, a, a preacher promising it to you if you give a thousand dollars into his ministry that that'll disqualify for you probably because that's manipulation that's a mammonite in action it doesn't work that way it comes by the voice of the spirit because God knows where he wants those resources and if we'll let him be God and him direct then we get to work with him in the process and the reward is obedience here the reward's obedience. And what does obedience get you? What did it get Enoch? You couldn't kill him. He walked right out of earth into heaven. I believe there's an anointing that comes for every believer that walks in that measure of pleasing God. And I believe the, it's, it's the same reward. Nobody can kill you. Now, I don't know whether you get to walk out of from and participate in the rapture or walk out of here into eternity or not. I don't know about that one. But I'll tell you what, I'll be happy just to walk my days fearless. No fear of death because nobody can kill me. You imagine how much fun you could have with the Democrats walking in that anointing. And a few wayward Republicans. Oh, shoot. I'd pay my own way to D.C. just to practice that one. 
<laughs> oh, Lord. All right, we've got to get through this. All right, we are in Romans chapter 8, and we are looking at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and uh, labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only they, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. <clears throat> for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the first, but please circle that word, firstborn, because that's a question we're positing right right now. Firstborn. Who, who qualifies as firstborn right now? you got two olive trees. you got two lampstands. Okay, who really qualifies? I mean, you know, if you reject and walk away from Christ twice, once in the old and once in the new, I mean, what what happens to your firstborn status? Do you keep it? Do you lose it? I mean, I don't know. But it sure would be nice to find out. Why? You tell me, is there a blessing for being firstborn? A little bit. What do you get for being firstborn? Double. You know, it sure would be nice to find some chapters and verses. To where you can hang your hat in faith and say, God, this wasn't my idea. This was yours. Now, I want to see your double. I want to see it in the church. I want to see it on your people. But most of all, I want to see it for the purpose you intended. I want to see it to make the Jew jealous and get them to catapult into the kingdom. I want to terrorize them come into the kingdom with envy, with jealousy. I didn't write Romans 11. That wasn't my idea. But you know what? If that's what it means, I will lay hold. I will latch on. And I will pursue God for it until I start to see it happen. And i got a family full of Jewish people I can practice on. Hallelujah. Whoa, look at what this says. Moreover, verse 30, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Hallelujah. Oh, my. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 16 and 17, that's circle it. You need to know where it is. Chapter and verse, Deuteronomy 21, 
verses 16 and 17. I'm just giving you the address. You already know what's in it. Deuteronomy 21, verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says. You already answered that question right, so I know you know it. I just wanted to give you the address. Deuteronomy 21, 16 and 17. Then it shall be on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons, that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, who is truly the firstborn. God says, hey, not your choice, my choice. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Wow. God, you seem fairly serious about this stuff. Go to Second Kings chapter 2. Second Kings Chapter 2. Hallelujah. Second Kings 2. All right. Second Kings chapter 2. Pick it up in verse uh, 6. Familiar passage. Then Elijah said to him, that's Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the... T- Two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so the two of them crossed and dragged around. And it was that when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what you, what uh, I may do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha uh, said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He's asking for firstborn status. That's what he's asking for. He knows he isn't. But spiritually, that's what he's asking for. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. Now Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Now the mantle did not fall off of Elijah onto Elisha. It fell on the ground. He also took up the mantle of Elijah. He picked it up that had fallen from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah by faith. I'm emphasizing the faith aspect of this operation because that's important to you and I. I mean, for what we're looking at, that is a really important point, and it needs to be made. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, you know, it's interesting if you jump over to verse 23. There's something else that started to manifest in Elisha. And he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came in from the city and they mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. 
So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the ewes. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. What do we see? We see the full-blown double. We see the salvation anointing, the healing anointing, the deliverance anointing, and we see the judicial anointing. Now, remember when God told uh, Elijah, you know that mountain experience is where he tripped out? And, and God said, go back and anoint people. I'm saying you go back and anoint your replacement. You remember that? Yep. Absolutely. Wow. So, yeah, here it is. 19. Elijah has self-pity. Look in verse 14. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets by the sword, and I alone am left, and I seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, and also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be, circle verse 17, whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Go anoint three replacements with what? Judgment. Now, we don't major on that, and we don't talk about that very much, but I want you to know God is the one who ordained Elijah to impart that anointing. Did he walk in it? Gee, what did Elijah do? That's in Revelation 11. Fire came out of his mouth and consumed 50. Because the king, I mean, if, if you look at that in the Hebrew, the king is commanding... It's a challenge from a political authority, and that, that, and it's in the Hebrew word. If you look up that Hebrew word, you know, it's, the Lord will tell you, go to this church, look at this word, look that, now look that word up. Now that's what happened to me. Look that word up. So I looked it up and I went, oh my gosh. It's a direct challenge from a political ruler to the man who represents God, and what it's saying is, God, bow your knee my rule and authority. Now that's why Elijah said, if I be a man of God. Really what he was saying, if I represent the Creator. 
And then he uses the same Hebrew word that he's challenged with. Same word. Let what you just commanded now come upon you from God. Flames. That's what's going on there. He completely reverses the challenge and says, it basically says, you are going to be judged by your own word. What you have spoken out of your own mouth is now coming on you by the real God. And here comes a fire. Don't you think it's interesting that God's witnesses in the last days are going to walk in the same authority? And that's that's really what he was saying. He was saying, it's about like Moses had to say to Pharaoh concerning... I mean, they did a really great job in the, um, in the Exodus movie. Charlton Heston was in. Out of your own mouth, Pharaoh, comes your own judgment. <laughs> you remember that? I mean, Moses is going, oh, no, out of your own mouth has come your own judgment. I mean, it's a repeat of, of what we're looking at right here. Well, what if God decided? Now, I can see how God could decide to do that through you and I. I mean, it's pretty simple to say to somebody, hey, you just articulated your own judgment. And the fire you think's coming after me is actually coming to you. Ha! God can do stuff like that in a heartbeat. Now, what, what you and I have to figure out is, Lord, is that what you're doing right here? Are you getting us ready for that? Elisha said, give me a double portion. What if it looks like the Gentile Christians qualify for a double portion and all of a sudden, like Elisha, you lift your hand to God and you say, God, give me a double portion. You ready for the bears? You ready for the? Are you? We know, you ready for what that means? You ready for what that means if it ends up manifesting in your own family? Nobody said walking this out is going to be easy. Now, we know what happened to Israel. We we know how Israel did with this. Of course we do. Look, uh, I mean, every single one of us in here. Go to Second Kings 36. I think this is the last chapter. Second Kings. Oops. Second Chronicles. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. It's not Kings, I think. Yeah, last chapter. Second Chronicles. 36, no, yeah, 36, verse 11. Here it is. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. Now, why are we reading this? Because I want to see, this happened to Israel twice. Okay, it happens here in the Old Testament. And then it happens in the New Testament. 
All right, so here we are. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear an oath to God, but he stiffened his neck, hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leaders and the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early, sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, till there was no remedy. Now, boy, I tell you, I was sweating that for America. I thought we were pretty much there when, at the end of Obama. And when if Hillary Clinton got elected, I knew we were there. That's exact, We were looking at the exact same thing. But what we got was mercy. Oh, what we got was God setting the stage for a whole transition of church and an international harvest of nations. Oh, man, everything turned. God intervened judicially in this nation, and now the judicial throne is open. That's what's scary. So if all of a sudden you and I wake up and think, oh, my gosh, it looks like that God has shifted this firstborn status to the, the Gentile Christians, and, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen if we ask for it? We better rethink this deal. We better crank this obedience thing up and quick. Therefore, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword and the house and the sanctuary. He had no compassion on young men or virgin or aged or weak. He gave them all into his hand. We know what happened. And it happened again in 70 A.D. with Titus and the Roman legions. And in Matthew 27, oh my gosh. I mean, this, there is a repeat that goes on here. In, in Matthew 27, it's a repeat. And the reason it's a repeat, take a look at it. I mean, same, same thing. I mean, how many times does this happen before you end up forfeiting your firstborn status? I mean, that's actually a pretty good question. Whoa. Look at this. Verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who's called the Christ? They all said, crucify him. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. Then Pilate saw he could not prevail at all, but rather a tumult was rising. So he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this person, this just person. You see to it. Verse 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers its chicks, but you would not. Behold, your house is left desolate. Oh, my gosh. Man, this is, uh, this has been repeated so many times. It's, it's getting, uh, 
a little shaky. Romans 1. I wonder what the penalty for this is. Romans 1. Yeah, we know Romans 1. We've been here. We have seen this before. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, this principle is still operational to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in the New Testament, so where, where do they go? Who, who do they try to minister to? Who do they take the gospel to? In Acts 13, who is, who is Paul? Okay, Paul and Barnabas just got released, so they're at the beginning of their ministry. This is Acts 13, right at the beginning of their ministry. And, and so, what are they doing? They are still laboring to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But there comes a turning point. There comes a point when God said, enough! Switch! All right, we're going to read a switch. Everybody say switch. Switch. There's an adoption going on here. And I'm executing it. Paul didn't have this right here. This is the beginning of his ministry. Ephesians was written 15 to 20 years later. So he has to come into this revelation. He comes into this understanding. He didn't have it right now. And God knew yet. Acts 13, 44 and the next Sabbath, almost a whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I've set you to be a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Smile at somebody and say, there is a turn. It's a turn. It's a shift. God executes it. Go to the Gentiles. All right. Why does he do that? He had a plan. He saw it. He knew it was coming. And he executed it. Okay, let's, let's go to uh, Romans 11. Yeah, because Romans 11 tells us about the plan that God executed. I mean, it's right here. This ain't rocket science. We know this deal. We know this plan. Look at verse 1. Romans 11, 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. All right, we read that. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Jump down to verse 11. I say then, if they stumbled, that they should fall. Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, the Jewish people have... Firstborn 
God has just started building, growing a new olive tree. And what if this olive tree, now he starts treating like his firstborn? And this new olive tree has the right, a spiritual right of the firstborn. What would that do to you if you were Jewish? You know something, God? All my life, I've grown up being told I'm a Gentile Christian, so I'm a second-class citizen. You know what? I like to see stuff in the New Testament and in the Old. Now, this I could see where this might be possible here, that that might be your plan, that you might actually switch your firstborn. But you know what? I, I'm... I just can't take this passage if I don't see something in the Old Testament. you got to show me something. So about uh, two weeks ago, I'm out walking. I, I, I just step out of the house, and I get about 50 steps out, and usually walk 2.2 miles, turn to Isaiah 56. And all of a sudden, the Lord talks to me. and says, you're not going to do your full walk today. I just want you to walk around the block. So that's about uh, 15% of the, the walk that I would normally do. And the Lord said, I want you to go home, and I want you to read Isaiah 56. I want you to study Isaiah 56. So, well, what text in Isaiah 56? Now, that night, I'm teaching on adoption. Hello? Isaiah 56, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep judgment, do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the Son of Man who lays hold on it who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, Who's the son of a foreigner? This is a Gentile believer. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs and those who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than, better than, better than, better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and it cannot be cut off. (laughs) Watch what you ask for when you lift your hand and say, okay, God. It looks to me like you offered firstborn status to the Gentile believers with the assignment, provoke the original tree. Now, we're warned. Don't get haughty. Don't get... Oh, absolutely, man. I'm telling you. This is kind of stuff that keep your nose close to the ground. There's no doubt about it. But it looks to... Here it is. Better than... Better than that. Of sons and daughters. Also, and that's, and he says it again in 6, 7, and 8. Now I went back and I looked at this like I'd never seen it before. I said, God, I was lied to all the time I grew up. That wasn't the truth. I mean, if God hadn't interrupted my walk that day, I would have still read right through this. Verse 6. 
Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. Holy cow, shall not be cut off. Guess what the last uh, line, the last line of Isaiah 55 concerning the trees of the field clapping their hands. Do you know what the very last thing in Isaiah 55 says? It is something else. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, thorns and briars are signs of the curse. So you'll reverse the curse. Shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God says in Isaiah 56, when I transfer this firstborn status, I'll put you in that place and nobody can cut it off. Nobody can shut it down. Nobody can stop it. I will bring you in to watch out what you ask for. Because I will do it. You better be careful what you ask for. Because this is a direct shot into Revelation chapter 11. You say it is? How's it a direct shot into Revelation 11? Because the adoption, the original adoption is in Exodus 33 and 34. That's where Moses asked for it. And in 34.10, it's where God covenants the adoption and explains what he's going to do that's greater than he's done before in the adoption. Go to Exodus 33. I mean, here it is. Uh, This is the Mosaic Covenant. Everybody say the Mosaic Covenant. It was all about it. This is the Mosaic Covenant. Go to Exodus 33. Verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. And yet you say, I know you by name. You found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that your presence is with us? So we shall be separate. We'll be different because you are in our midst. You can be seen in our midst. You manifest in our midst. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. 18, show me your glory. Well, we talked about this last night. We prayed this over you last night. Well, smile at somebody and say, this is the next step. This is the next step. God, you said you would anoint me to make the Jew jealous so they could be grafted back in. Do what you have said in Jesus' name. 34.1 And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone. Okay, what did Moses ask? Show me your glory. Verse 19, uh, 33.19 Then he said, 
I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, I'll give my firstborn status to who I want to give my firstborn status. And if that's a second olive tree, to make the first olive tree jealous, then get over it. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. Do you know what that where that Nephel verb says concerning stand? Stand firm, be determined. When God shows you that place by Him that we prayed over you last night, stand firm and be determined. I looked it up today. I looked up the verb. Nephel. That's what it said. Right here. Once you ask for this, you don't back up. You don't run. You stand firm. You be determined. And the reason is because God's going to give it to you. You've got a harvest. You've got cities and nations to bring in. And you need this anointing. And you need this status. And God will not deny you. He won't deny you. Woo. And the Lord said, here's a place by me. Stand. Stand firm. Be strong. Be established on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand and you shall take away my hand. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now fast forward to 34, 5. Then the Lord descended in a cloud and stood within there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, uh, abounding in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Look in verse 9. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O oh Lord my God, I pray, go among us, even though we're a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us as your inheritance. Adopt us. Adopt us. What is God's response? The very next verse. Behold, I make a covenant. I carath a bare eath before all the people. I will do marvels. Pa-la. What is pa-la? Such as have not been done. Pala, Exodus chapter 3, verse 20, is a pala. What is a pala? Exodus 3, 20 says, ta-da, 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 quote, Exodus 3, 20, So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my pala, which I will do in its midst. They're judgments. The pala's judgment. It's the Revelation 11, 4, 5, and 6 anointing. You strike the earth as often as you desire. That's what he's talking about. And he covenants to do it. Covenants. 34.10 I covenant with you today. Before all your people, I will do judgment such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among you, among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord for it is an 
awesome. Yahweh. To terrorize. Yahweh has five different manifestations. And here they are. There's five different areas. Number one, the emotion of fear. I will bring such an emotional charge of fear that people will either bow or they'll be paralyzed or their knees will begin to shake. They will either run or they will drop down and start to repent in your presence. Yahweh, I will do Mar, I will do judgments that terrorize. I covenant with you today. That's what I'll do. That's why Revelation 11 is in there. 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. It refers directly back to this covenant. And it is our, I am convinced, it is our double portion firstborn inheritance. With the ultimate purpose in utter and total humility to bring the Jewish people in. He said that none of these works have ever been done. Yeah, I know. But then you read, and Larry said, and he just said none of these works have ever been done. But you go read Joel. What will I do in the last days? Signs in the heavens. Restoration to us and the judgment to him. Oh, and it, every Jewish person looks at it and goes, Oh my God, that could be me. I should be walking in that. Now the Christians are. My God, I need to become a Christian. Oh, wow. Amazing. That's number one emotional fear. Number two, the intellectual anticipation of evil. He said, I'm going to get you on two levels. I'm going to get you first with your emotion. I mean, you you know, you can't stop emotion. I mean, you can try to process it. Boy, when it comes, it's a flood. You guys know what a flood of emotions like when it grips you. But he said, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to come on the other level. I'm going to come on the intellectual level. And I'm going to put the fear of evil, the fear of the judgments that are deserved. Number three, I will bring a holy reverence and awe. I'm going to uh, release a terror that brings a holy reverence and awe. Number four, I'm going to release righteous behavior and piety, the desire for it, the motivation to seek it. And finally, I am going to release a formal religious worship that brings the terror of the Lord. Theological word book of the Old Testament. It is the definition. There it is. Here's the five areas where it's coming. Yare. Yare. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you made us your firstborn. Now, God, give us a double portion in the last days. Give us the fullness of the covenant that you offered Israel that because of rebellion they never saw. Now give it to us that we may make them jealous, that they may catapult into the kingdom in the last days and be your final great harvest. 
Lord, you and your wisdom ordained to do it this way. We bow to it. We say yes to it. And we lift our hands and say, here we are, Father. Give us a double portion in the name of Jesus that we may bring you the ultimate desire of your heart harvest, your Jewish people. So, Lord, we bless you for that. We receive that. We thank you for giving us a place better than that of sons and daughters that cannot be cut off. Ho, Father, thank you for it. Now, do it. Do it in this house. Do it for this people. Do it for everyone in the sound of my voice who has the courage to stand with you. Do it, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Smile at somebody and say, you are adopted and nobody can cut it off. Amen. Thank you, guys. It's been an awesome time. I love coming out here. I appreciate it. We got some exciting days ahead. Hallelujah.